Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 206th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds podcast and it's South Asian Heritage Month and this year's theme is all about celebrating the stories that make up our diverse and vibrant community. Today we're going to be talking about accessible climate justice and if you want to know more about climate change, chaos and emergency do check out episodes 193 to 196 which are the episodes I did for Mental Health Awareness Month but today we're really going to go into exploring accessibility and how the global north can support the global south in terms of climate injustice and to join me today to discuss this further is Pooja Thilwala. Pooja Pronouns she, her, is an Indian-American climate justice advocate, opportunity curator, and youth engagement expert with five years of experience in the global climate movement. She has degrees in economics and international studies with a focus on justice, ethics, and human rights from American University in Washington, D.C. Since 2020, she has served as the founder and executive director of Youth Climate Collaborative, YCC, which aims to create a more just, inclusive and intergenerational climate movement that allows young people to take meaningful climate action while sustaining themselves and their initiatives. So for me, this is really essential, the intergenerational part and sustaining themselves and their initiatives, of course, as we know, because of the connection with mental well-being. She's also the CEO of Jali.io and an advisor to Rivet, which is creating the world's largest microgrant fund for youth-led action by harnessing youth purchasing power through brand company partnerships. She is an active member of Youngo, the children and youth constituency of the UNFCCC, a member of the United Nations major group on children and youth, and most recently was double nominated to serve as the North America Youth Advisor to the UN Secretary for Climate Change. Her purpose in life is to nurture her curiosity and creativity, encourage herself and others to challenge the status quo and unite people to improve the quality of life for all. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. A very fascinating story. Pooja, a huge welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's really exciting. And I've just read out your bio, but I think it'd be great if you could tell listeners what you're working on at the moment. Yeah, so I run this organization called Youth Climate Collaborative, and we are trying to make the climate movement more accessible, inclusive, and intergenerational, and one that sustains young people and their work. And so we have about eight different projects. I'll try to go through them briefly. One is to connect climate comedians with scientists and BIPOC youth. So that's uh, uh, youth who are indigenous, black, or just people of color experiencing the worst impacts of climate change. And uh, then another program is on climate mental health. This one, um, we lead workshops on eco-anxiety. It has three objectives. One is to um, help youth have a safe space to lean into their feelings, express their feelings as a result of the impacts that they're experiencing in their communities. And then the second objective is to uh, create a self-care plan and exchange strategies with the other youth. And the third objective is to learn how to be there for someone else who's going through this uh, emotions. Then another project is our eco action map. This one we're calling Jolly. That means net in Hindi uh, and Gujarati. And 
this is like a partnership matchmaking tool and like a donor grantee connector. It's going to be a really useful tool for uh, increased collaboration in the social impact space for SDGs. Then um, another one is a policy literacy program to help uh, youth in the U.S. for this one. Um, learn how to write effective policy recommendations for the U.S. government as it relates to UNFCCC, um, which is the climate arm of the UN um, processes. Um, and we have a, a bunch of other projects, but that's uh, some of ours. Oh, I guess I'll mention one more. That's one of my favorites. This one is uh, intergenerational boards. So for this one, um, we know how important it is for decision-making to reflect the like decision-making bodies to reflect the um, communities that they're trying to serve. So we believe that climate finance uh, philanthropies and organizations should have a board that's representative of those communities that they're serving. And so that means bringing youth onto boards, bringing people from Asia, for example, if they have an Asia portfolio. And so we're excited about our upcoming launch of that research consortium. That's hugely yeah. exciting. And, and you know, how, when you say all these amazing projects, <laughs> phenomenal. Um, so how did you get involved in the climate movement? What was your journey to it? Yeah, so let's see. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was in college. Um, even before that, right, like growing up, parents were, you know, typical Indian parents. Uh, like choose a job that's financially stable. So um, in you know, doctor, lawyer, that's presented as two, you know, highly esteemed options. However, it's kind of funny because they'll say to become a doctor, but then like even in Indian culture, they'll be reluctant to go to doctors, you know, if something's wrong. So it's actually pretty hilarious. But um, anyway, so I, I did have the opportunity to explore other subjects in high school um, like language and culture. And when I was younger, I always enjoyed um, family time to watch War uh, Globe Trekker um, on, I think it was a BBC program. We also watched like Rick Steves travel adventures. And, you know, early on, I started learning about the world and our primary news outlet was BBC, right? So um, we, so early on, I had that exposure and interest in just the world, it's cool people, cultures, food, all that. And um, then um, I would say in, at the very end of college, <laughs> I went to the Global Climate Action Summit in 2018, um, basically after um, President Trump had pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Agreement, you know, mayors and governors and, and corporate sector and others um, in the U.S. had really stepped up to say, you know what, we're still in this. Who cares if our president has withdrawn us? And so being in that space of just um, uh, mobilization of different people who still were passionate about this and seeing the intersection of climate change with you name it issue was super fascinating to me from an intellectual perspective. And then seeing like outside, there were all these protests going on right and so you see the energy and the um awareness raising uh created by those on the who were on the outside and some who managed to get in and do some protests too um it was very very cool to see how you can do both 
And um, I wanted to learn just how I had so many questions after going to that conference. Um, and I thank uh, UNA USA, that's the United Nations Association of the US, um, for having these different volunteer experiences uh, available. Um, and I had learned about them um, while learning about like model UN and stuff in high school. Um, so it was like a little trickle down road. And then I just started asking questions and learning more and more ways to get involved doing research. That's always my number one advice is uh, just read, keep like, you know, go on LinkedIn, read, um, do a lot of Google searches and just keep learning what's out there. Yeah, and, and that's very interesting because, you know, the climate um, campaigning space is a very white space. So we know that climate um, chaos, climate crisis has impacted countries like India, Pakistan, the continent, the whole continent of Africa, parts of China, etc., way more than it has. You know, now we're seeing it in the news because there are more fires in America, Canada, Greece, etc., uh, the global north. But as a person of South Asian, you know, who's South Asian of Indian heritage, how do you feel in that space, and how do you navigate that very white campaigning space? Yeah. So actually, I would say the climate space is. Uh very global and very um has many many people from the global south and um i like saying it's led by the global majority but um we just don't get the you know stage time or the access to decision making so it's not that we're not there um we're there we're just not given the opportunities that others who are more uh, socially connected um, get. Um, you know, this has taught me really the value of social capital. I forget the statistic, but even for like getting jobs, it's like 80% or some really high percentage of jobs come from personal connections and relationships, right? And it's the same with, um, you know, getting stage time to bring up your life experiences um, and share that to then, you know, evoke certain emotions that lead to action and, you know, or getting, having the connection to apply for a board through, you know, discrete channels, if it's not a public application, just so I really want to see people who get these opportunities to say, you know, like for me, as somebody from the diaspora, if somebody's like, oh, can you come and speak about the heat waves in India? I'll say no, because I don't live there. I, I would say, let me introduce you to somebody who actually lives there and, you know, speak with them. Or I would say, you know, let me bring them with me and we can talk about um, how you can still care as a person in the diaspora um, who has family there or maybe has, you know, doesn't. but. Um, but should, you know, really give that space to the person experiencing it. Yeah, I would also say that media needs to do a better job. Like, often media likes to follow certain youth even and kind of make little celebrities out of them or follow specific people because it's like an easier narrative, right? You see a recurring face, here's their journey. And then you also get more reach if you use people who have more reach but they need to do a better job of reaching the youth or you know whatever age the person is who's 
genuinely experiencing all of that, even if they need a translator, right? Get that translator and and get their stories out there. That's the job of media, you know, not to keep getting the same story out again and again, you know, and um, they also need to like have proper, um, uh, what is that called? Commentary, like get to know the culture, see the values from the non-Western perspective and frame the article or the short film or whatever from those perspectives, you know, and let it be led by um, that youth or whoever from that background, you know, like you can write the article or make the piece, but then give it back to that person to give feedback to make sure the story is being told in the right way. Um, then I would also say, um, in these spaces that uh, um, when youth are at different events, for example, usually we're the ones to go up to people to like say, here's who I am, here's what I'm doing. Um, but I would strongly recommend that those of older generations also be willing to like introduce themselves to the youth, you know, acknowledging that they come with their own expertise and skills too. And yeah, for white spaces, I'd say share your social capital. You know, if you have partnerships, mentors, uh, if you have time yourself to volunteer, um, you know, reach out to these community-based organizations and individuals and and ask how you can support. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's really helpful. And and so then building on that, what does the term climate justice mean to you? So if things were, if I could give you a magic wand and you could get things exactly the way you wanted, what would that look like? Yeah, so climate justice, what it means to me, um, I'm big on uh, participatory design, active participatory design. So if you're trying to address problems, um, in a community, whatever level, um, you should have the solution design be community led and driven. So, you know, go to the community and just learn, you know, what are you already implementing? What solutions are you already implementing? How can we scale these solutions? Is it just an issue of a lack of resources? And then just provide what they need. Like I had a nice phone call with this one climate tech company two days ago, and they said, to me and i loved this they're like because uh, i asked them you know what are you trying to achieve what are your goals objectives in trying to help us and they're like no that's what we want you to tell us you know what are the ways that you need help and then we will fit that you know and i loved that and so i think we need more of that um where the communities that have the knowledge and expertise of what's needed on the grounds for just transition and for, um, uh, you know, bringing down carbon emissions and educating the community about what's needed and all that, like work with the existing networks, work with the existing uh, organizations and really provide them the resources and support that they say that they need. Um, and go from there. It all starts with a conversation and relationship building. Thanks, Pooja. Yep. And thinking about the impact of climate injustice and crisis and chaos on global majority communities, um, BIPOC in, in the US, um, 
what do you think are the biggest challenges then for people speaking up and then around climate injustice and then that campaigning stress on our well-being and how they get support for that yeah so and I also want to say like in the U.S. rural communities also suffer and don't get enough attention Um, but yeah so with the global majority I would say safety is a huge issue in many countries Um, you also just can't speak out you know about these different issues um, because you know, even some countries are starting to use facial recognition to identify people on the streets. I won't name names. And then, um, uh, what do you call it? So for speaking out, many youth, or yeah, many youth have been detained. Some have been killed. Um, Then others are just afraid because of what they've seen, that they're at risk if they do speak out. And even tech is traced now, um so safety is a huge issue and something that needs more um investment in um whether it's through multilateral pressure uh to get governments to allow more freedom of speech on these issues or if it's um you know having more encrypted messaging and ways of communication um through, you know, tech solutions. Um, And let's see, another issue is, um, well, we already addressed the issue of like having time to speak or, you know, stage time or mic time. Um, Another issue is funding. So um, it's important to be at conferences that get a lot of global attention, media attention, because if you're there and you protest there, right, then you get in the news and more exposure, but it costs a lot of money to fly out. And a lot of these conferences have tended to be in the Western hemisphere, right? Like in Europe or in the US or, you know, what have you. And the ones in the global South don't really get that much attention, to be honest. Like if you think about all the conferences that get attention, they're just not getting as much. Um, At least it's not coming up in the media that I consume and being in the US. And so getting to these conferences costs a lot of money and there's not really that many funds to pay for um, transportation, accommodation, and that sort of support. Um, Even in the youth space, like people always ask me, how can I get to COP? Like, and there are ways to get badges, but then to get funding to go there, there's very limited opportunities. It's through personal connections, through work, through school. And it's hard to find funding in other uh, ways. Um, Then in terms of mental health and the effects on mental health, I mean, if you have a story to tell and you can't tell it because you don't have the connections with media or because media is not interested in your story because you don't have a big profile or because... um, you can't get to the conferences or whatever location that you need to be to get exposure, then you're kind of just like, if I can't even get my story out there, and and because it might be unsafe digitally to do it, right? Then you're kind of just stuck. And um, you look for spaces where you can share your story. And and uh, I've seen nonprofits step up to provide uh, platforms for people to 
for young people to share their stories. And that's been really helpful. And then I think as long as the person knows about opportunities to change their circumstance, to get their story out there, then there's tangible hope, right? And ways to change how you feel. But if you don't know where to go to get your story out there or how to get involved or resources are limited, you lack government support, you don't, you're not allowed to do community mobilizing in your country, et cetera, then it's very tough. It's very tough. And it's hard to get out of the um, emotional funk that you might be in. But it helps to find those people wherever you are, even if just in person in a safe ways. Um, and then that is very helpful. Community has been the largest source of um, bringing people out of darkness when needed. Mm. Yeah, thank you. There's always that connection in community and finding those safe spaces, but it is really tough. And so building on that, how do you think parents, carers, guardians, citizens can support children and young people, because that's your focus, in their lives to get involved in climate justice? Yeah, so children is a whole other topic too, because if you're under 18, there's even less opportunities, right? And um, just from like, you, you need chaperones. So that means you need double the funding to get there, you know? Um, and many people won't work with under 18s because of legal parameters. Like there's just more paperwork and all of that to get involved. So they have even less opportunities, I'd say. Um, how can parents support? If parents have the means for funding or connections, then to look into that and see if they can chaperone um, their youth to go or their child to go attend a conference and, you know, bring their expertise to that conference. Um, other ways that they can support is um, just listening, to be honest, just being um, that year at night at the dining room table um, to ask, you know, how's your day going? What are you up to? And, you know, my parents are cute sometimes. So before, you know, they weren't really supportive. They're still kind of like, oh, your job's not financially stable. But I mean, <laughs> they still are supportive because um, they see that it's working. But um, they'll send me like little articles or um, videos and stuff to show their support. They're like, oh, check this out. And it's cute. Um, yeah. So I think just being there in the way that you can, you don't have to know everything, right? But you have to show interest in listening in, you know, wanting to share little resources that you come by that you think could be helpful. Um, and then if you have any connections, connecting them with people who might be able to help. Um, I think those are some ways. And the other way is um, passing down knowledge, right? So for example, teaching about values of relationships with nature through culture, like uh, in India. So apparently tree hugging started in India. Like my friend was uh, Kanchi, shout out to her channel. She um, makes cool content about this and she shared about the tree hugging. Then um, indigenous friends like Marina in Alaska, she's always um, teaching youth in her community about um, the ways that they care for and respect our earth 
and the values that they'd like to see passed down. So I think that sort of traditional knowledge sharing is also important. Yeah, I think that's the most vital. And I think, I guess when you were talking earlier about it's very difficult for children going to these big climate conventions, um, but they're local protests that people can go to. So we have Parents for Future in the UK yeah, exactly. and that's accessible. I'm also thinking about, you know, growing daisies or growing cress on your windowsill and having a discussion um, because that's all part of it. And I think you're right. I think it's those cultural things that are so invaluable. Um, using, uh, again, I'm not saying this in a, you know, this is the only option, but, you know, using, we're talking about recycling, reusing things, using certain um herbal ways to do things in certain circumstances I know it won't work for everyone in every situation but it's those sorts of things I think that are, are part of the spectrum around climate injustice for me. True and um, so during college I worked at Urban Adventure Squad and we used to take kids out into the neighborhood and teach about local initiatives and um, so take them to gardens, community gardens, and teach about those programs, an aquaponics farm, a um, uh, like a reserve where we identify local species and stuff. So yeah, I think I focused a lot of the conversation on the international since that's mostly where I work, but the local is key and crucial, right? You don't have to go far. Um, locally learning how to get involved and also not being afraid of cold outreach, you know, to news outlets, to um, community foundations and organizations, to uh, government-based, like like city funding even. Um, there's a lot that can happen locally too. Yeah, even not getting in your car and going to school because lots of people live within yeah. walking distance, but they don't, they get in the car and I don't really understand why. Um, taking the bus. Yeah, campaign. Well, bus. yeah, and actually campaigning to keep our bus services. For me, it's things like that. Yeah, as well. Yeah, um, that's so true. So Pooja, you're an incredibly busy person. So, and this work is obviously very tied to your values. So how do you look after your own mental health? I always ask uh, guests to share their top three tips of what they do. I like at the end of the day, just going outside. I love being outside, um, getting off screen time and just hanging out with friends, you know, on and talking about life in non non climate things. I'm <laughs> um, trying to find that balance because otherwise it can get pretty like everything can be about climate if I wanted. Um, so that's that's one thing, just uh, hanging out with friends, going outside. Um trying to find some hobbies outside of like climate work. So um, I really like paddle boarding. I want to restart doing dance classes. Um, and then another way is to take action with friends and community members. So I like, you know, reading about uh, successful projects and um, or just people that are making the effort and I like um just getting to know what's going on um where I live or where I'm headed um and that helps it's not all there's not it's easy because the media tends to focus on like dramatic things and even um but but you can find those newsletters and social media channels and even just conversations where you talk about what's going well, because there is a lot that's going well too. That just doesn't get as much attention. Oh, that's, that's really helpful because, um, 
yeah often as you say you know we get caught up in the negative when there's a lot of good stuff going on um, and finally uh, Pooja if people want to know more about your work how should they contact you and I will of course include these in the show notes yeah so you can learn more about our projects and work at youthcc.org um, and you can also reach out to me at Pooja at youthcc.org and you can follow us on our Instagram pages. Our social media is kind of lacking. We're so busy on the projects and then don't spend enough time on social media. So we'll we'll vamp that up soon. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your story with us. Um, it's been a real honor. Yeah, thank you. Oh, good. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And uh, we hopefully you'll join us in the next episode. Okay, everyone, take care until then. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.